Welcome to the Racisms Podcast. We're your hosts, Jazlyn and Lisa. We decided that this world could use more cross-cultural conversations that seek healing over division, understanding over ignorance, and a better world overall. podcast where we have cross-cultural conversations to make this world a better place i'm lisa co-host of the podcast with jaslyn hey guys and before we begin i'd like to give a little update on the high school demographics that i found um, as a follow-up to the episodes we did on friendship circles because uh, jaslyn has talked about the high school that she was close to and then the high school that she was bused to. Um, and I wanted to look at the high school I would have went to if I stayed in Philadelphia um, versus the high school that I did actually end up going to when my parents moved to the suburbs. So I'm um, looking at the all new high school back in 1990. It was 39% African-American, 52% white, 6% Hispanic or Latino, 3% Asian and a very small percentage that was multi-race and other. Uh, and then I had mentioned that when we moved out of um, Omni, which which I thought was predominantly um, black or African-American, actually was not. It was um, 52% white in 1990. Um, and then the, the place that we moved to, um, Upper Darby High School, uh, that was definitely a majority of white. So that was 92% white. Uh, 3% African-American or Black, 1% Hispanic or Latino, Asian, 4%, and then again, another small percentage for the multiracial. So I think my recollection was right that uh, the Philadelphia school uh, would have been, uh, would have had a larger Black or African-American population, and then the school that we moved to was uh, majority majority white. Um, Something else really interesting as well I had mentioned in that episode that uh, my parents or my parents and my sister and I, we would drive past um, this one high school and my and this high school, I remember, you know, had bars on the windows. My parents said um, it was dangerous and they didn't want us to go to that school, which is why they moved out to the suburbs. But that actually wasn't the school that we were kind of zoned to. Um, So that school, it was all in the all in the east and west which was included on the persistently dangerous school listed by the Pennsylvania Department of Education. But in September 2011, both of those high schools were merged into the Albany Charter High School. So I would have went to either Albany East or West um, because I wasn't going to go. I wasn't going to be in high school uh, when those two merged into the charter school. Uh, the, the school that we were actually uh, charter or zone to go to was the Samuel Fells High School Um, and in 1998 uh, that's the one that we would have went to I think Uh, what else so if I look at Samuel Fells High School and Upper Darby High School um, the Samuel Fells High School was rated below average uh, when compared to other Philadelphia schools below average in college readiness but that was the same at Upper Darby High School It was also below average year after year for academic improvement, Um, but it's also below average on how well it's serving disadvantaged students. 
And that school on great schools got a rating of only one out of 10. Um, and then Upper Darby School, which is Upper Darby High School, which is the school that my sister and I both went to, it was also below average in college readiness, but it was above average year after year over year for academic improvement. Um, and also below average on how well is service disadvantaged kids. Uh, but that school was only rated a five out of 10. Um, so it wasn't as high as I think Jaslyn's, the school that she went to was rated seven out of 10. So it wasn't rated as high, but I would say that I still had a really um, positive experience there. So that's the research that I found. I'm gonna write a blog post, very similar to how, what Jaslyn did um, so that you guys can have a look and maybe you know, do a little research on your high schools. So today we have a very special guest, my younger sister, Nina Landis. Hi, how are you? Thanks for having me. So we wanted to bring uh, Nina in to provide some more information on our combined and separate experience growing up in Philadelphia um, and, and Upper Darby, a suburb of Philadelphia, as well as raising kids in the D.C. area. Uh, so Nina, um, Jazla and I talked about our childhood friendship in a previous episode and the racial makeup of our schools. I suggested that she have her family member on, so she had her mom on. And then we were going to ask our mom, but our mom said no. Uh, but maybe I'll interview her later. Maybe she's more comfortable with uh, written responses um, instead of being on air. So, Nina, are you ready to get started? I am ready whenever you are. Great. So why don't you first tell everyone a little bit about yourself? Um, we all, they, everyone knows that you're my sister, but... Tell us about, you know, where you went to college and how you came down to the D.C. area. So I went to college at Penn State at main campus, um, not UPenn, Penn State. And uh, I went there. I was, and then after college, I was there for another three to four years and I did real estate there. And then I moved down here to the D.C. area after that. And we've been here since 2010. I was terrified to go to college because I was just like, I mean, I really felt like I lived under a rock because like you, Lisa, were like, I, I don't know, just, my sister, she was like, like, I always went to her for everything. And like, she just, I just looked up to her so much. And then I felt like, oh my gosh, I'm like leaving and it's so far away. And then when I was going to college, I think the show that was on was Felicity. Mm. And so if you guys remember that mm -hmm. show, but like her roommate was like, you know, you know, a little different. Um, so I like really terrified. I'm like, who am I going to get matched up with? And so I was just scared to live like in dorms. So, um, but yeah, it was definitely like, I think I went to Penn State because it was like the only school that accepted me. <laughs> so it was just more of like, okay, this is where we're going. Mm. Um, and, you know, like my roommate that I was matched up with, like I was like an engineering major and uh, she was white and very different culturally so like I think that I realized how different my upbringing was than what most other people might have experienced um so yeah college I think was definitely a, like a just I just learned so much more about what how other people grew up versus how I grew up mm. and didn't realize there was a lot of difference Nina, I do want to ask a question before we get more into it. So how do you identify 
Um, I identify as an Asian American. Has that always been the case or you just come to that conclusion recently? No, I always felt like I always felt more American than Asian just because I grew up here in America. And, um, you know, we did go to Chinese school and everything, but like, you know, predominantly, you know, more of our life was with like friends at our American school versus the Chinese school. Yeah, uh, I think that it's, it is kind of true. You know, I, I felt more connected to my Chinese roots. My Chinese was better. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> yeah, not anymore. What's the age difference? A little bit three less than years. three years. Wow, to the month, Nina. We want to be exact here. <laughs> Two and a half years. Yeah, so Nina, I don't know if I ever shared this with you. I probably have, but... Uh, I had spent two years in Taiwan after college, and there I was surrounded by lots of people who looked like me. Um, and then when I came back to America, or the United States, um, again, we're using America in air quotes or American in air quotes. We understand that there's lots of Americas and that we're talking about the United States. Um, and when, but when I came back, I was kind of surprised um, or I had a new kind of look on myself because I, I've really felt different for the first time. And I don't know if you've had that same identity crisis being uh, in a Chinese person growing up in the United States. So, yeah, I mean, I think that I was, was aware that I was different. And I think that growing up in America, like there are just certain things that are just quote unquote weird to someone who doesn't grow up in an Asian household. So I always felt that. Um, but like, I think another part of it was also like socioeconomic, like, you know, being part of a poor family, I can't really tell like which one made me feel more different, but I definitely always knew growing up that, you know, I didn't have like the normal childhood, like whether it was like cultural references to movies or like music there was just a lot of like missing pieces that I didn't know were there until I think after I went to college um, and meeting other people from different walks of life is where it became more apparent that, you know, I, <laughs> there's just a lot of missing information that I just, you know, unless someone tells you, you just don't don't know or just take for granted. Yeah, we'll come back to your college experience because I remember visiting State College after I came back from Taiwan and I did not feel as uncomfortable in Philadelphia as I did visiting you in State College because it's very predominantly white there. Would you you would agree, right? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So we'll go back. Let's let's we're gonna reverse time here. Um, let's 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 go back to our like really young years. Um, do you remember the elementary school you went to in Olney? And do you remember that I got bused to a different elementary school? Yeah, I remember I went to Morrison Elementary School. And mm. wow, you remember the name? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember because it was like a little Mustang and we had that little yellow cup. <laughs> and I had my favorite teacher was there. Um, and, but I don't remember. I remember the like, the high school that you were talking about, but I don't remember the name. I remember we just had to, we moved out of the area. We didn't live there that long. Right. Yeah. Like a year, maybe. Maybe more than that. It's hard to remember. It's been a long time. 
totally is. So do you remember anything about this high school, uh, this elementary school, like the racial makeup or if you felt safe there or you felt like, you know, you were getting a good experience or a bad experience there? Um, in terms of, it's so hard to remember because I was so little, but actually I think we went kindergarten through second grade, I think is when we moved. So probably we were there three years and I was trying to think of the racial makeup and I like honestly can't even remember who our friends were. Um, I just remember there was a lot of neighborhood kids and we would, we would always be able to play outside and that's what I remember. But in terms of like the racial makeup, when you were mentioning that, like I honestly, I mean, I would say that compared to where we moved, I think that it was definitely much more diverse is what I remember. Yeah. I was definitely bused to a different elementary school. I remember the bus stop was maybe right outside of your elementary school. So like we got to like, you know, arrive at the same time, but then I got on a bus and rode 30 minutes to a different school, which I can't remember the name of either. I remember like the school was close enough, but like, I remember like always feeling like I did, there's definitely times where I didn't feel safe. Um, like, cause I knew that there was like, like walking there. I remember like, there was just people that weren't nice. <laughs> You're just like, just gotta stay away from the people that are not nice. And there would always be like dogs barking. And that's, that's what I remember, but I can't because it's been so long. Um, and you know, I remember, I mean, I don't remember being unsafe. I remember, yeah, there was definitely darking, barking dogs through fences. Um, but other than that, like we didn't feel unsafe there and we definitely played with the kids on the street. Uh, and but I do remember in Philadelphia, like experiencing my first kind of racist racism. Um, I think it was like directed toward like maybe me, you and mom, like walking down the street. Like, yeah, just like the typical, like, you know, imitation of the eyes or like ching chong, like if somebody's like walking by you, but like, honestly don't remember if it was there or if it was like in Upper Darby. Like it just mm-hmm. all sort of blends together. Yeah. Yeah. No, totally understandable. I don't really remember anything um, earlier than, you know, second grade for sure. And that's when you, we, that's kind of when we moved out of there. Uh, so what did you think about the schools that we went to for the rest of elementary, middle and high school? Did you think they were diverse I mean, looking back, I can say like whether I thought it was diverse, but like growing up, I don't know if I really saw it as like, this is diverse or it's not diverse. I think the one thing I do remember was like when we were in school in the only Philly area, I was like in the gifted program. And then when we moved to the other school, I was like no longer in the gifted program. I was like, darn, (laughs) I'm not as smart. (laughs) Um, That I like distinctly remember that. Um, (laughs) and, um, I I would say like when I moved, when we moved to the area, I feel like there is more kids that were not as welcoming and I never knew why, but maybe looking back, maybe it was because I was different, but I don't know if that was exactly the reason. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mentioned, um, in that, in a previous episode, how, like it wasn't until high school, I feel like high school is where we, where I kind of met more like, uh, how you, how you say it, 
I think Jasmine's mom used the word uppity. So I'm going to use that word because it sticks to my mind. But like there was just more like uppity people uh, in, the, in, the, in the high school environment. But in elementary school, I think that's the first time I made an Asian friend. I don't know. Do you remember? Like I just remember playing with the kids that were on our street and the kids that were on our street were mostly white. And then I had like I think when I was in middle school like a lot of my friends were asian and um but i'm just trying to think of like the immediate friends it's just because like they were close and we would walk home together yeah yeah so did you feel like you faced any racism growing up in the schools that we went to like high school and under here and there but i don't think it was like something that really impacted me a ton like it wasn't something that I had to deal with okay I mean that's good most of your friends were Asian right and a few white is that correct yeah I mean I can think like for for me like you know I made a lot of Asian friends um just a few white friends like you know Indian but like not a lot of like black or African-American friends and like looking back on like the stats, I mean, there was a significant population there and I don't know, you know, we, I just, we, I never reached out to those groups. Um, how about you? Like, did you, did you think you had a diverse set of friends? I think like in high school, you know, staying within your own racial group counts as diverse then yes, I did. But like, I didn't have, you know, I had a few black friends, but they weren't, they weren't like super they weren't really super close friends, but like, it's like whatever activities I was doing, like I played tennis, I played like lacrosse and like volleyball. So whoever like was part of the social circles. And like, I think the people that I was closest with, like my one friend, she lived like the next street over is cause we would always like walk home together. Like that's kind of like how our, and like my other friend from elementary school, like she was also like, it was more of a proximity versus, like, or, like, whoever was in our classes. Yeah, yeah. And we did live in a neighborhood that was more white. Um, and then there was another neighborhood that also, um, you know, was zoned to the same high school. And there was more um, African-American, Black, and uh, Asian, you know, like, diff- all different kinds of um Southeast, East Asia, East Asia, Southeast Asian, um, and East Asian population there. Uh, yeah. So did you feel the same way about going from middle school to high school that there was just like more snobbery in high school or like, that's kind of what I felt like. I mean, mom, our mom and dad always gave us everything we needed, but that was the first time I felt some like inequity, like something I didn't realize until I had something to compare to. Yeah, I think it was more of like, yeah, I would say it was the emergence of like, what was it? We were we went to Beverly Hills and then Drexel Hill. I guess it was the perception it was like rich kids or richer kids or kids who had more. Um, but I mean, I think I probably felt the 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 uh the difference earlier because I think we were I think our family was on welfare for. I don't remember how old I was, but I think that's when I would like realize like, oh, <laughs> we don't have any money. <laughs> but that I was probably elementary school. 
maybe maybe it was whenever you went to Taiwan, I think, whenever that was. I went after college. But I went to Taiwan a few times, I think, during my childhood. Yeah. Yeah. So Nina, can you tell me a little bit more about Chinese school? Was it mostly a school to learn the language or was it like a cultural as well as a language school? So it was held on Saturdays and I guess, yeah, it was, it was kind of a mixture of both. It's like to learn the language, to read it and to also like, you know, learn the culture. Um, but I sort of like rebelled. I was like the, that was my like one rebellion because I was <laughs> generally a good kid, but like, because like my our dad and my mom like insisted that we go and like all of my friends are at home watching Saturday morning cartoons. And I'm like, this is awful. Like, why do I have to get up early, go to this school that I don't care about? Um, mm-hmm. And like, I felt and, like part of me going to the Chinese school, like all the other Asian kids there were like, you know, they had money. They came from like parents who had, a higher education so I always felt like I didn't belong there because like we mm-hmm. weren't the same as them and so I just mm-hmm. never really felt like I belonged so it's like I just felt like it was pointless to be there so I just never really tried and I never really felt connected to being Chinese because I grew up in mm-hmm. you know in America mm-hmm. which you know growing like looking back now I kind of regret I wish I would would have learned it more because like now raising you know my daughter like I want to make sure that I you know give her a part of like my heritage so it's not just you know you know American culture like that she like tastes the food and I don't know about the language because I'm struggling there but just giving her a chance to explore it if she wants to learn it. Mm -hmm. Would you consider enrolling her in a Chinese school? I think people have asked me that. Um, I might consider it. I mean, because right now she seems to be interested in language. Like she, like I have, I've like bought her like Chinese books and I bought it like Chinese songs and she seems to be interested in them. So I think as long as she wants to do it and is interested, I will definitely give her those opportunities. But if she was anything like me and like refuses and it's like torture, I would probably not push it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I haven't sent my kids to Chinese school. I think I equally hated Chinese school, Nina, but I was. Oh, really? Like, you seem like daughter. you were like all about it and straight A <laughs> student. Meanwhile, I'm the slacker. <laughs> it, just, it just comes so naturally, you know, for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just, I mean, I just had to be better than you. That just, that's my goal. <laughs> uh, no, I didn't really enjoy it. I did it because it made them happy and I had to stick it in. I had to stick with it because if I gave up, then you would have been like, I'm out. So I had to do it for the family, you know, I had to do it for the culture. <laughs> yeah. But I think now with kids and I mean, COVID, we're not going to do it, but pre-COVID, we did, we kind of thought about Chinese school, but we were also just being very like, we want to preserve our weekends and, you know, the kids have other activities they're into. So 
I don't know. I, I tried to teach some Chinese when he was little, when he was a baby, and he was actually really good. He understood it, but then he wasn't talking um, until he was well over a year, and I got really nervous. So when he started speaking English, um, because he was in daycare, I was like, "Oh my god, he's speaking! I must speak English to him." And then he lost like all that desire to learn Mandarin. So, you know, if I could turn back time, I would have continued it. Um, they show some interest now, so but then I'm like, oh, maybe they're too young. Maybe I mean, not too young. Maybe they're too old already. <laughs> like it's gonna be too hard. But was, I mean, the culture was good. I mean, they taught us all this. They taught us lots of stories. Um, so that was great. Uh, you know, some of the art um, they taught us that was good. I don't think the actual language they taught us was very useful in everyday conversation. So I mean, if I could, I would love to send my kids. To Taiwan for like a summer, and、uh, and they could just be like little sponges and absorb it all that way. So, how important do you think learning the language is to connecting to your heritage or your culture? I mean, I think that it helps because then if you go to back to the country that you're from, for us it's like、uh, Taiwan and China, then you feel like you can at least communicate and be part of it, like. I mean, I think I'm thankful that I can actually understand、uh, Mandarin, and you know, if I'm there for like a week or something like that, I can at least communicate. Like, I need to go to the bathroom, or what is this food?、Um, you know, so I can at least basic survival, but you know, not enough to like not get lost on the train for five hours, <laughs> like I did that one time when I visited my sister. <laughs>、um, so, but like, yeah, I think that it does help. I don't know if it's Absolutely essential, but I think that it's just a more of a common ground that you can have with with someone else. But like for me, like it was really important that she eats. She being being my daughter, that like she tastes like Asian food and Chinese foods because I want her to not be scared of that food when she grows up, and not just like Asian food, but like. All different kinds of food, so that that was really important to、mm. me. Yeah, I think that having some basics of the language would be good to just. I mean, because so like my sister and I,、uh, we don't speak Taiwanese, which is a dialect、um, in Taiwan. So like we couldn't really communicate with my mom's side of the family because a lot of them only speak、um, that lang that dialect. Some some of the younger ones or all the younger ones they can speak Mandarin, which we can. Communicate in,、um, so you know I think we're still gonna lose some of that ability,、uh, but it would be nice if my kids could understand it. And, you know we're trying to teach them, but it's just so sporadic. It's kind of like how how dedicated we are to it, and、um, I guess with so many polls and stuff, we for for us we haven't made it a priority. But like Nina said, you know we try to introduce them to the foods. To the traditions,、um, to you know the the kind of the teachings of you know respecting your elders and、um, having respect, uh, uh, you know just having manners. I think is an important part of Chinese culture. So we're trying to pass that along. And you know if they want to learn the language, you know take a college course or something because that's kind of what I did. I think I took a college course in Mandarin just to freshen up. <laughs>
I have a question for both of you. I think, uh, Lisa, you said before that, well, you both have, I would say, non-Chinese names, mm-hmm. <laughs> Lisa and Nina. And I think, Lisa, you were talking about how you, you wanted to give your kids a Chinese middle name, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you were kind of asking people <laughs> for suggestions because you didn't really know. I mean, how 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 do you think that... Or did it have any role in your identity, like not having a Chinese name? And Nina, did you give your daughter a Chinese name? So I'll go first. Um, so my my given name uh, is Chinese, and I got a lot of people not knowing how to say it, substitute teachers particularly not knowing how to say it, um, and so my my nickname growing up was Lisa. My I think my my parents gave me that nickname. The story they tell me is that they were gonna name me Melissa, but it was too hard to pronounce, so they shortened it to Lisa. And so they gave me the nickname, and all throughout my childhood, that was my name. And when I got married and changed my last name, I decided I was gonna go ahead and, and make. My first name, Lisa, my middle name would be my maiden name. And then my last name is my current last name, Ng. And, you know, at the time, this was like 10 years ago that I changed my name. I I did it because it was convenient. You know, if I was going to be called Lisa in everyday life, why would I, why can't I, why can't I just change my official name to be Lisa? Why can't all my credit cards you know, have that name instead of my given name. Um, But, you know, Chinese names, they have a lot of meaning in them, as do many names. You know, they all have um, a meaning. And, you know, mine was forever Chinese. And sometimes I'm a little sad that I don't have a name officially anymore uh, because I don't ever want to not be Chinese. So... I gave, I decided, we decided to give our kids um, English names because I didn't want to do the same thing with them as like people mispronouncing it, people butchering it, people making fun of it. Uh, And so we gave them English first names and then their middle names were given to them by their grandpa, um, my husband's, my husband's uh, dad. And in Chinese, there's also kind of a way to name people that's um, very, I don't want to say superstitious, but it, doesn't, it definitely has, you know, some, some uh, criteria when selecting a person's name. So I didn't want to do it wrong, which is why he did it, because he has more knowledge about that. Uh, and so they, that is their official middle name, and then they have our last name. So... Yeah, I think I think it's imp- I think that if I you know went back to China or Taiwan, I would still use my given name because in the in Chinese culture, when you get married, you don't you don't change your 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 surname, your last name, you keep it, um, and you're always that. You know, you always get to carry carry that with you. So, Nina, is your name still your your Chinese name, or are you, are you did you officially change it to Nina as well? I changed it when I got married. 
And it's basically this, you know, very similar story. However, my Chinese name was misspelled yeah. <laughs> legally. So it was Y-U-A-G. So I wouldn't, everyone would ask me how I pronounce my name. I'd be like, I don't know because it's spelled wrong. Mm-hmm. So I didn't, it was, that was the frustrating thing because I would, it was Chinese and it was misspelled. So nobody knows how to say it. So I was like, let's just change it so it's easier mm-hmm. for everyone. How about your daughter? Oh, for her, um, I did not give her a Chinese name because, again, like I just never really felt like super connected to the Chinese language. So I just, it just was not something that we did. But I think our mom gave us, gave her a Chinese name, but you'll have to tell me what that is. <laughs> I, think I, I think I just looked it you up. You know what it is. I, I Googled it. Huh? I Googled it and mom said it sounded nice. So I said, okay, okay. there you go. <laughs> It sounds like it sounds like her English name. It's just a yeah. I don't know how many episodes you've heard of our podcast, but uh, one of the podcasts that kicked off this season is uh, Lisa's Impetus to Empathy. Her moment after watching Just Mercy and her kind of racial awakening to the issues going on in the country right now. I was wondering, did you or or do you have that kind of? Uh, empathy to the social justice issues going on right now and police brutality and everything that's happening in the in the country so I think like me like most of America like I think the moment that it became so apparent was um with George Floyd um you know and I talked to another friend about it and he was like it affected me a lot like just because I saw it and it was so visual strong like everything involved with that but then to him he was like you know what it's not as shocking because he was aware of it and not like it was just another story but it's not as shocking but I think for me that's where it became more apparent um but in terms of like doing something I feel like I don't like when Lisa started this podcast, I was like, I'm like, I was like really like happy that, you know, she was doing something instead of like just sitting there and being upset about it. And it's like, for me, I was like, I don't know what else I can do, but that's kind of the moment where I felt like, man, something really does have to change. No, I was saying your friend, you, you said you talked to about it was black, white, Asian. Oh, uh, he was black. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was, it was interesting to hear his perspective because it was like, yeah, like, you know, and like something else he has shared about like, um, grow- like, I don't know if this was something that happened in the current day or if this was like happened when he grew up, but like, he was just sharing like, he was standing there watching um, a mom with kids and the little boy just like wanted to go peek into the car just different cars like as they were walking by to see what was in there and he was he was allowed to do that I I believe it was like white family and then he just said you know you know white privilege is being able to do that because as a kid he would have never been able to do that without having fear of like repercussions and it was just like wow like it's so basic and I don't think I ever realized how basic it was um, 
growing up in America as a black person. It was just like, mm. it's really shocking. Because I don't, I never had to experience that. Right. Yeah, it re- kind of it kind of reminds me of uh, this this book I'm reading. It's called uh, "Me and White Supremacy," um, and it talks and, and it starts off talking about whiteness, but it also talks about being white adjacent. And I think Nina, you and I both being relatively pale skinned Asian Americans, you know, we've been uh, recipients of white privilege in a sense because we um, are not um, darker skinned Asians. Uh, we also, you know, even though we came from um, a poor family, you know, now we're both working professionals and, you know, we, we were allowed to do, um, I guess society would have given us the same or it's not same, but n- benefit of more the doubt yeah more benefit of the doubt yeah like we could have did that looking into cars and no one would have said anything um and so that's kind of where where i'm at just kind of coming to terms with you know because white supremacy does kind of put this veil over over people and it's kind of put a veil over me um and just really realizing all that now and i think I mean, and, you know, just kind of thinking about when we were growing up, I mean, we never really, like, talked about racism either. You know, it's not like a conversation that me and you and, you know, the rest of our family sits around and talk about. And, you know, is it, I mean, I think we've all experienced some sort of racism, you know, with, like, the chinky eyes and the name calling. But, I mean, I don't know, do you do you wonder why we never talked about it? Like, why we just kind of pretended it didn't happen? I mean, obviously that affects your psyche in some way growing up, but I don't think, like, I mean, I am i can't necessarily speak for you, but, like, you know, you have to, like, from what I've, like, talked to other friends and, like, read online, like, you know, if, if you're Black, you have to sit down and have the talk, you know, like, you can't do certain things. We weren't limited to being, like, you can't do these certain things, if that makes any sense, like. No one's going to assume yeah. that if I peek in a car that I'm going to steal from it. Um, not nobody, but like, you know, I'm probably going to get the benefit of the doubt. So I don't I don't think that there was a need to have to address something like that. Because someone calling us a name or whatever, like, sure, it hurts our feelings. But like, is our life mm-hmm. in danger? No. So like, I don't see yeah. why they would sit us down to talk about that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, totally, totally agree. Yeah. So I guess you didn't grow up talking about it, but I mean, do you have those conversations now more or at all? With each other or just like with friends or? Yeah, with each other. Like I asked Lisa if she, if she, you know, discussed these issues with anyone and she said, you know, family time is, you know, she doesn't feel like it's the right time to talk about these kind of things. So I was just wondering if, um, you know, due to the recent things going on, if you've guys found the time to discuss it. We actually don't talk on the phone very often. Um, but no, it's not something that we've specifically talked about with each other. 
I think partly because we haven't seen each other in person since Christmas. And, um, but like, I feel like now the main discussions that I have with my friends are either, um, around the presidency, um, and all the drama that's happening there. And I think, you know, it is unfortunate, but like when that, when the incident happened with George Floyd, like, you know, it was something that like, you know, I did see some friends and it's like something we talked about and, but then more recently, it just, it's not a topic of discussion anymore, but it's like, I don't know what else has to be done. You know what I mean? And I always feel like that with like big events. I always feel like, who am I? Like, what am I supposed to do? You know? Cause I don't, I know that it takes everyone to make a change, but I just, for me personally, I just, you know, I do talk to my one friend about it. Like, you know, we text with each other when there's like, you know, news, but it's, I don't know what else can be done. I think kind of two of the, the topics or themes that we've been discussing is conversations. Like maybe you can't, you know, write laws in your current position, but you can affect and influence your circle. So I think one of the themes is, you know, just bringing it up, talking about it, um, seeing where your friends stand. (laughs) You you know, I want to know if my friends have problematic views, you know, Um, and see if we can work them out. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think for me, um, you know, most of my friends, like we're, you know, on the same page. And certainly there are other people, there are other friends that are like, way on the other side. And I think that um, sometimes when when that happens, and I find out like, oh, like that, like, like our views are so different. I think it just catches me off guard. And I like, know what I don't know what to say. <laughs> and I'm like, because like, it's just not the way I think. And it it's hard for me to you know, really push into those conversations. Um, and I like to keep an open mind. I do like to hear what other people, what their perspective is. But I, I, I never feel, I'm not someone to like argue with somebody. So it's hard for me to be like, cause I'm like, I'm not going to change their mind. So like, is there like, at what point do you try to keep the peace to keep the relationship or then you get into this contentious like argument of like you're right they're right and that's kind of where I find it difficult to find that balance have you run into those problems Lisa Uh, I mean one one person on Facebook I think he's a works in the same company as I do and you know I was posting about maybe like um, I don't remember the exact thing I was talking about, but it was definitely about the protests. And he came on and was like talking about how the like the lootings are, you know, unjustified and they should stop looting. And then like I came back with, you know, change has never happened with like peace talks, you know, like it's always been war and other kinds of looting in the United States. So, you know, this isn't new and it did get to a point where I just had to not respond to him and he has no longer been responding to my posts either. Cause I think we both know where we stand. Um, 
But to in response to like what Nina said, you know, for me, I feel like the more that I read, um, and there's you know tons of lists out there that you you can look up. Uh, but I feel like the more that I read, I feel like I have more of a a language or um, facts, you know, to kind of support what I'm saying instead of just it's not just opinion based; it's fact based. Or I can like cite authors, and and in that way, I feel more empowered to have these conversations instead of kind of uh, kind of letting them kind of not win, but if they have more information than I do, then I feel kind of you know out out talked. But if I you know have read the books, the articles, then I feel more like equipped to have those conversations. Um, and I and I do want to talk about it more with you, uh, Nina, and and the rest of our family because, like, if I wouldn't have talked about it, I wouldn't known that people wanted to talk about it. You know what I mean? Like after our first episode came out, and some of um, my husband's family listened to it, like you know they started a, they started a text thread and and talked about. Um, what was happening. And I was like really kind of surprised because we had never talked about it before, but it seems like they had kind of always been talking about it with their friends, just not with us. So I think it opens a lot of doors to continue these conversations. And, you know, Jaslyn has said in the past, like the more we do it, the more it be kind, it kind of becomes part of our natural, you know, conversation. And then it's not, doesn't feel so different and that that's good because to solve the problem we really need to like talk about it if we just kind of forget about it then things kind of just stay the way they are so Nina I wanted to talk about your adorable daughter my niece so she's mixed she's half Chinese and half white um so how have you been kind of teaching her about race and who she is and um, and specifically anything about like uh, anti-black racism? Have you talked about that? We haven't talked about that specifically. Um, no, we haven't had any of those conversations. Like, I don't think I've, I mean, I, I might have told her she's Chinese, like half Chinese, but I don't think we've had those conversations yet. No. Yeah, my daughter's three, so that's why I thought she might be a little young. <laughs> She'd probably look at me like, what are you talking about? <laughs> there is a lovely book called Anti-Racist Baby. It's a board book. It's getting lots of great reviews, so I'll send it to you. I encourage you to have those conversations um, just because I know I didn't have those conversations early enough with my kids. My kids are seven and ten, so they're definitely old enough to talk about race and racism. Um, you know, we pre 2020, I admit I was under the, you know, guise of I'm colorblind. Color doesn't mean anything to me, but that's, you know, now that I know that's wrong, uh, because it kind of just dis, uh, it just kind of disregards people for who they are. Um, and you know, when my kids wanted to talk about, you know, they have, you know, black kids in their class, they have, Indian kids in class who are brown I was like oh no no we shouldn't do that but like I'm learning now that we need to really embrace those um those differences because they are important 
uh, they're who they are, you know, that it's, it's, it's really, you know, a part of our, their identity. Um, and then also teaching them that, you know, they're not better than anyone else and no one's better than them. No one's worse because of the color of their skin. No one's better. Uh, and just being really like direct with them because like, I do want to raise anti-racist kids. Um, I'm sure you've heard the, the big discussion, the, 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 the big, um, topic is you know we can't just be not be racist we have to be anti-racist uh, and so that's what I'm trying to teach my kids so I encourage you to do that with her she's definitely going to have an identity crisis I feel like I think a lot of biracial kids and multiracial kids do because they have just all of it working you know at the same time no I think I definitely definitely need to have those conversations I just I guess like in everyday life when you're just trying to survive you're like okay <laughs> keeping you alive but I think that it is really important to raise a child who's not going to who's going to you know demonstrate the values that you know we want her to have and you know so yeah I think being more proactive about it instead of being reactive because we haven't had a situation where we've had to you know like you know there is like in for daycare there there is you know it is a lot more diverse, so it's sort of nice so that she's used to seeing, you know, kids of different races. And, like, the one thing I really like about being in this area is that there are a lot of other kids who are mixed so that she doesn't feel like she's the only one. But I guess I should be more direct and... I don't know, for some reason I just felt like she was too young. <laughs> or not, like, I, don't, I mean, she's not asking about it, but I guess I, even before she's asking about it, should I be talking to her? about race and equality and racism? I mean, I'm going to say yes. I, you know, I admit my kids are much older now, so I've already missed that, you know, window. Not, I can't go back in time to change, but I really feel, and I, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts and reading a lot of books and, you know, just like your, your black friend has said, you know, he, he wouldn't be allowed to do the things that white people can get away with. Like, he probably couldn't not talk about race, whereas we have the privilege not to talk about it until something happens. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at is if I don't teach my kids to be anti-racist, then they would just think that being not racist is good enough. You know, and I want their I want their United States to be the United States that I think all of us want it to be, um, and not the way it has been for the last hundred, hun lots of hundreds of years. Time immemorial. Time immemorial inception. Yeah. episode everyone nina thanks for joining us for this episode thanks for having me yeah it was really great chatting with you and learning a little bit more about lisa's background and now we have this segment called the better world nugget where we talk about something big or small that we can take forward with us to improve the world uh, so i'll go first then jadlin and nina you can round us up so for today's better world nugget 
Um, this conversation made me realize that, you know, those who are closest to us, um, the ones that we like could be having more conversations about uh, racial and social justice, maybe aren't the ones that we feel, you know, like we can. So I'm going to challenge myself to have more of these conversations so that we can really make a change in this world. Uh, how about you, Jaslyn? For me, I think this conversation kind of highlights the importance of instilling like your cultural heritage, passing that on to your kids. Hmm. Um, like Lisa mentioned, like I wouldn't, if someone said they were colorblind and they don't see color, I'm like, what do you, it's not, it's not a thing. It shouldn't yeah. be a thing. We should all be celebrating our, our heritage, our background, and we should know about it. Yeah. So I think it's important that we instill in our the little ones in our life, you know, that background and help them to to embrace it and really take pride in it. Uh, and how about you, Nina? Um, I think that it was more along the lines of like the change that I can affect is actually having conversations with the people that I know. And I don't think I realized that how important it is whether or not it changes their opinion or not like just being able to at least have the conversations at least be aware of where everyone stands even if the conversations are uncomfortable and then also highlighting that you know I should be more proactive about you know raising a child who's anti-racist and having conversations even before they're needed so I think I definitely want to, you know, learn more about that and knowing what I need to do to raise a better child. Awesome. Yeah, everyone had really great uh, world, better world nuggets. So that's our episode, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode. Before you go, be sure to like or subscribe wherever you're listening to to stay up to date on new episodes. Tell us about your siblings and if they remember your childhood the same or not. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Racism's Podcast and on our blog, racismspodcast.wordpress.com. Remember, that's racism spelled R-A-C-E-I-S-M-S. Peace, everyone. Be safe. Music for this episode was created by Jasmine Duke and Kyle Carson. This episode was produced and edited by Kyle Carson.